it's really hard to grasp what the past few months has been and all of the changes. I'm not going to talk a lot about that because there's a lot that has been said. But I believe that a vital question for August of 2020 is this. What time is it on God's clock? This is not what I'm teaching tonight. I'm just making a few uh, introductory remarks that have been on my mind. The last five months, I, I changed my Bible reading plan, and I have added um, either a chapter in the book of Revelation uh, every day to my usual Bible reading plan. So I've read through the book of Revelation, I think, four times. And then I went to the book of Daniel, and so I'm, I'm working on it now, added to, and this is like the third time through. I was taking the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel and trying to pick up uh, on, on God's time clock here. The Bible does say that there is a blessing for even, uh, even reading the uh, book of Revelation, and we should keep that in mind for sure. I don't know where we are on the time clock. I definitely enjoyed the couple of lessons that Pastor taught here at the uh, at the beginning of all this COVID business about about the, the Book of Revelation and the end time. We've we have heard uh, Pastor say on more than one occasion, and you've heard more of his messages than than I have. I've gotten about all of them, but I have been traveling a little bit, and I've missed a couple of them. But he's made this comment. I'm not the same man that I was when all this happened. I trust that every one of us can say the very same thing. I trust that, that the Spirit of God is, is moving in a manner um, that, that we're seeing more of ourselves than, than we had. I don't know how you have dealt with it. I have referred to myself I never knew that I was non-essential until this happened. And then I realized that I was non-essential. And so those of us that were deemed non-essential, we had a little more time on our hands. And I had been used to traveling so much that I really, I guess, wasn't thinking as deeply as I should have been. And this time has allowed for me to, to think more deeply. I've been able to wrestle with some things. I've been able, um, really, I have referred to this as the great revealer because there have been things that have been revealed on the inside of me that I've, that I've really needed to give, give some time to. And so I trust that we are in that mode and we're not being hung up on what was and so focused on can we just get back? Can we just get back? I, I hope that we will embrace what is, what is, what the Spirit is saying, not just what the Spirit was saying. And if we can embrace what is, then we can be stepping toward what can be, what can be. Now, those are just my hello remarks, some things that have been off on, uh, working on the top of my head, and I felt like I wanted to share them. What I'm going to teach on tonight, I have never preached a message on this. I have never taught 
a lesson on this, never. And as I was praying about about this, um, it's been over a week now, maybe maybe 10 days or so, there was only one word that I kept getting. And the word was marked, marked, M-A-R-K-E-D, marked. And I was thinking, what in the world is, is the message or the lesson with this? And so let me just share what I, what I feel that the Spirit prompted me for, for this lesson. Marked. Now, if we're going to think of this in the natural, then we could think about birthmarks. We could think about uh, animals being branded. We could think about tattoos. My mind even went to um, when, they, when the police in Hong Kong started cracking down on the protesters. They brought in water cannons. Did any of you see this? Where they brought in water cannons and they infused them with blue dye. And so what they were able to do is just spray all of these protesters, and then it made it a lot easier for them to arrest them, because then they could just go through and anywhere someone showed up with blue dye on them, then, then they knew that they had been a protester and they were marked. Now, in the spiritual, we see both positive and negative to this marking business. Now, I'm going to approach this lesson by saying what I have often said when sharing news with people. I have good news and I have bad news. And I've asked people before, you know, uh, what do you want? We've got good news and we have bad news here. Unfortunately, we have bad news. And so what would you like first? And some people have chosen the good news first, and then some people have chosen the bad news The outline of my lesson tonight is pretty much this. Bad news, and then good advice, and then a huge challenge. It's bad news, it's good advice, and then it's it's a huge challenge. And so what I would like to do is start with the bad news, and let's get it out of the way whenever it, uh, when it comes to the Word of God and what I have seen on this subject of being marked. You might want to put your seatbelts on for this one because this is a tough one. There are scriptures in the Bible that there's no other way around it. They're just rough. I say I love Jesus. I feel I do love Jesus. I don't know that I would want him for a pastor. Uh, that probably shows my lack of the Spirit. Uh, Apostle Paul. I love Apostle Paul. He's one of my favorite Bible characters, but I'm just not so sure that we would want Apostle Paul for a pastor. Let's deal with the bad news in relation to Mark. Romans sixteen seventeen. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses. Contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. You don't hear that often, do you? Mark them that cause division. If it's somebody that's always into division, dividing people up in people's business, causing trouble, offending people, well then at some point they need to be marked. 
Now, Paul was a follower of Jesus. Now, look what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. You say, now, how in the world does, does that connect? This is the only way that I feel that these two critical concepts can connect, and it's this. I feel the message is clear. The collective body is more important than the individual members. The collective body is much more important than the individual members. The, the body of believers at New Life Fellowship is much more important than me individually. So whenever Jesus is speaking to me, it's love your enemies, pray for those that despitefully use you. And, and that verse alone will challenge us until the last breath that we take. But then when speaking of the church body, then it's mark those that cause division and offenses. Now we know that Satan thrives on division. He thrives on it. That's, that's his deal. And the spirit of the age has always knocked on the door of the church. Always. And so now we are living, I do not remember a more divisive, hateful day than now. Not in, not in my almost 60 years of living. I do not remember a day. So this is what we're living in. This is what people are being inundated with. And we, as the church, have to be so very careful that the spirits that are all of the world do not find a way to come into the church with us. Now, really, I don't believe that those spirits are just like knocking on the door trying to get in. I believe it's more like the drug bust that I used to witness whenever I would ride with the policeman in Alexandria. Uh, it was it was quite a situation. Um, you know, I would ride with them, and and there were these jump teams that that they would uh, uh, they kind of knew where some drug activity was, and would would be in plain a, a car, a plain car, and they'd have you know plain clothes on, and and man, when they would hit those guys, it was just like. I mean, I was sitting right there in the car watching it, and it, I was just thinking, oh, my goodness. I mean, it, it got violent. It, it was bad. But one day they told me, they said, they said, hey, Pastor, there's going to be, we are going to have the biggest drug bust that we have ever pulled off in Rapids Parish. We're bringing units in from all over Louisiana. And, and we've been spending months and months and months, and we have homes targeted where we know that there's serious drug activity, and we're going to hit them, and we're going to hit them hard, and you might want to see this. And so I got up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I met down there, and there were like, uh, I believe, 125 that was going to be a part of this. And what they would do would be they would, they would very quietly go into the neighborhood of this drug house, and they would get out and they would surround the house. I mean, just surrounded. And the captain would yell. And when he yelled, every one of those officers would just start 
banging on the side of the house, banging on the windows, flashing their, their flashlights in every window and screaming, banging on the front door, banging on the back door to literally throw that house into total chaos. Because then uh, there was a better chance that somebody would open the front door and give them the access that they needed. And, and that, was, that was quite a sight. What I believe is happening today, that the world is now banging on the church. That's what's happening. The world is trying to throw the church into confusion to where these spirits that are all over the world that we are dealing with they are definitely looking for somebody to be confused enough to open up and give access to them because Satan is about division. Jesus called him out clearly when he was speaking to Peter, and here's what he said in Luke 22 and 31. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. And so we know that Satan definitely seeks division. And, and here is how he seeks to divide us. He seeks to divide, and I don't mean to be using him so much as if we're glorifying him, but we have to talk about how important this is and how it comes against the, the church today. Satan definitely seeks division between us and God. Wants to put space between us and God. He also wants to put space between us and us. Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift or separate you like wheat. Jesus went on to say, but I have prayed for you, and that's definitely something that we need to have our mind on. But the Word also talks about how we should uh, gently minister to people who oppose themselves. And I know in times gone by, I have spoken about self-opposition from this pulpit. So there's the division between us and God. That's what he wants. He wants division between us and us. And then if we are married, he wants division between us and our spouse. If we have children, between us and our children. If you are living with your parents, then between you and your parents. And then another key division he wants is between us and our pastor, which is our shepherd. And so I personally believe, and I'll mention a couple of more, but I personally believe that in our lives, these are the key divisions that he's after. He wants to separate us from God, us, pastor, and family. God, us, pastor, and family. Those are the key divisions that he is, is after. Of course, then it goes to between us and local church leaders, us and our friends, and this could literally be the entire lesson tonight, but I won't make this the entire lesson. But I do want to quickly mention how Satan seeks to cause division between us and our earthly shepherd, our earthly shepherd, the pastor of this church. He seeks this. This is very important to him because division is his game. He, he seeks to divide and conquer. It's exactly what he does. I was talking to 
um, Brother Travis Tharp. He is the, he's an assistant pastor at the church in Denham Springs, Louisiana, where Pastor Ray Johnson pastored until he passed away last week. And um, Pastor Ray Johnson uh, came up here a year ago, and Pastor was with him and met him, and we did some filming, um, some great teaching series of Pastor Ray Johnson and Pastor Morell Cornwell on on teaching home Bible studies. It's it's just great material that will be made available uh, if any of you would like to see it. We're just about ready to make that available. But this is what Travis Miller said. He said, I assisted um, Brother Johnson for many, many years. He said, and there are a lot of preachers, but there's much fewer real pastors. And I told him yesterday when we were on the phone, I said, well, you can believe that the first Pentecostal church of Denham Springs and New Life Fellowship has something in common. Um, Real shepherds, real shepherds. You say, what are you trying to do, score points? Nope. I'm not trying to score points. Gave that up a long time ago. I just know this. Real shepherds protect, and real shepherds must be protected. Because the enemy comes in and seeks to divide. And then how it's used is then it's the pastor's spouse and the pastor's children. And, and, you know, uh, the pastor's children cannot help it that they're the pastor's children. They, they had no vote in that, and I don't understand why some people can't seem to, to understand that. And so here's what happens. There's a huge target on the pastor's spouse and the pastor's children. You say, well, I mean, they're human. They're just like everybody else. I know it. I know it. They're, they're just like everybody else. And the fact that they're Christians and they've been born again, the enemy's after them. They have the same target on them that we all do. But then their nearness to the shepherd of this church increases the target in a major way. Why? Because Satan can divide by causing havoc in their lives. What, what are you saying is needed? Extra prayer. Extra prayer every day. Why? Because Satan is trying to divide us from God, us from our spouse, us from our family, us from our pastor. And this is something that we must, as a church, step up to and say, those voices might be sneaking in and banging on our walls and flashing lights in our windows and making all kinds of sounds, but we will not give access to any of them. To any of them. We can't have division between us and the shepherd. And when we look at Romans 16 and 17 again, now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. It was something else how it, it was done in the New Testament, and we can thank God that that's not the practice right now. But this, this is so incredible. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 11, here's how Paul handled it. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. He's called it out. 
He's absolutely called it out. So all this business of, you know, just going by and, hey, you know, to the pastor, uh, you know, about this, about that, or whatever. I mean, you know, Pastor Paul, he just said, look, we got a problem. The only way I know that it's a problem, uh, you know, they're having a problem with them, is the house of Chloe. Chloe, would you stand, please? Yeah, right there. Chloe, Chloe, their house came and told me, and so now we are going to have to deal with this. Can you imagine what it would be like if the church just operated on, I didn't hear it from the grapevine, I heard it from Chloe, and Chloe doesn't mind me telling you that I heard it from Chloe, because Chloe is more concerned about the body, the kingdom, the body of Christ, than individual peace. Say, oh, wow. See, we say we want to be apostolic until we start really digging down to some of this. There were two church members. I won't, I won't read it now, but when Paul was writing in Philippians 4, there were two church members that were at it, and he just called it out and pretty much said, and those two need to get it straight. That's, that's the way, that's the way it was. Now we don't, we don't do that now. I mean, you know, I mean, to this point, we don't, we don't do that now. But what we have to understand is division is a huge issue. And Proverbs 6 speaks of sowing discord as an abomination. Matthew 12 speaks of a kingdom or city or a house divided against itself cannot stand. There is not another church in this county that can affect this church. There's not another church. It wouldn't matter if a few churches teamed up against New Life Fellowship. They could not affect New Life Fellowship. As a matter of fact, what would happen if multiple churches got together against New Life Fellowship? fellowship, we'd just thrive. That's what would happen. But you let New Life Fellowship get in crossways with New Life Fellowship, and then we fall right into that house cannot stand. The threat, New Life, is not outward. It's inward. You say, oh my goodness, uh, you and pastor must have been talking. No, we're not. No, we're not. This is, this is just the word that God spoke to me marked and I went and started studying it and here it is. This is, this is what I see. This is why I'm trying extra hard to practice this line of thinking when an issue arises. This is what I'm working on myself because I look back. And I have not handled every situation right. I didn't handle every situation right as a pastor. I've not handled every situation right as a husband or a father. And I'm seeking to be better. And so the first question I'm asking myself when something comes up is this simple question. Is this my business? And then I ask myself this question, if it is my business, if it's in my world, if it's affecting my family, if it's affecting my world, then I have to ask myself this question, do I have authority or an open door to get involved? Or should I just pray about it? Do I have relational authority or do I have positional authority? Well, somebody ought to tell them, well, it's not us if we do not have a good relationship with them. 
But they need to know. There's all kinds of things that people need to know. But we can't be the one to tell them unless we have relational authority. And that means they would be open to us in our life. Or if we have positional authority. Positional authority can be, uh, it can be a parent. It can be a pastor. It can be a, a leader. It can be a group leader. It can be all these things. But then even when we have positional authority, we have to remember that every bridge has its load limit. And so even when we have positional authority, we must be so very careful. And oh, God, help us to not share too much even when we have positional authority. We did the very hard work uh, many times of, of restoring people who had morally fallen in, um, at the church that I was a part of for so many years. And, and some were able to remain in the body, but some people talked about so much and spread it so much that even though the pastoral group had restored, they just could not work over the tongues of the body. And we lost them. So when we look at this, when, when I look at this, is this my business? Do I have authority or an open door to get involved? Do I have relational authority or positional authority? And if I have positional authority, then I have to be careful that I, I don't use a bazooka when I need to use a slingshot. And so whenever I go down this line, then if not, then, then I'm out. Last week, Scott Harpole dealt much with words, and, and his lesson was just so great. Go back to the archives and listen to it if you, if you haven't heard it. But uh, I was reading this, this week in Colossians 4, and it made me think about his lesson. Colossians 4 and 6. Let your speech be always with grace, Season with salt, that ye may know how ye ought to answer every man. Brothers and sisters, that's tough. It's especially tough if you're wired like me. That's, that's just hard. My mouth has gotten me in more trouble over my entire life. I'm finally doing a little bit better. We simply can never allow ourselves to be among those marked because of being divisive. Cannot. Okay, good. Breathe. Breathe. I'm going to take a drink of water here because that's the bad news. Now let's talk about good advice. Good advice under the umbrella of being marked. Philippians 3.17. Brethren... Be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample or an example. And so the good advice is this. Be an example. Be an example. Strive for this marking. It's the mark of an example. Desiring to be an example is not prideful. It's needful. It's not prideful. Paul understood this. He was not seeking dominion over them. He was not seeking to be a lord over God's heritage. He only desired people to follow him as he followed Christ. 
His obvious personal pursuit of Christ was the basis for his desire for others to follow. That was the basis. His very basis of saying, follow me, he could say that. And the power, the reason why he had power to say that is because of who he was following. And he was obviously following Christ. I just wouldn't follow anybody that's not obviously following Christ. I will listen very, very closely and I will watch people's life. And because I've lived long enough to know now that people can talk a load and deliver nothing. And so what you do is, is you, whenever you're talking about letting somebody speak into your life, no, 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 not just anybody. Uh uh-uh, uh, no way. No, no, no. Well, I'm just an open book. Well, I'm not. I'm not an open book. Um, if somebody's going to speak into my life, now I don't care if they're an atheist, if my refrigerator is broken and it needs to be fixed. I have never called a repairman and said, now what is your doctrinal belief? How many gods do you believe in? I, no, never. Won't. Not planning on it. But to open up my life for life directing words, are you kidding me? There is no way I'm listening to anybody unless I know they are obviously pursuing King Jesus, period. I'll be nice to people, but I'm not listening to people. It has to be obvious. And so Paul, Paul could be followed. Paul could be followed based on the way he lived his life in following Jesus Christ. People could say you might not agree with him, but the man follows Jesus Christ, and we need to listen to what he's saying. He wanted people to understand the difference in true gain and loss. Paul was the one out there saying, forgetting those things that are behind, I press toward the mark. Let's stop here a second. Forgetting the things which are behind. Paul would be a good one to listen to on this. Think with me right now when he visited a church and looked at children whose father he had killed. Think with me now whenever he was in count, in, in council with, with some of the church leaders and he was hearing the stories to find out that, that that woman right there, you killed her husband. Or that man, you killed his wife. You've scattered these families. This is what Paul was dealing with. And so Paul could say, forgetting those things which are behind, you have to press. And those people had to forgive him in order for him to be able to minister to them. He said, walking according to the ways of God, walking in unity, encouraging others, obeying the plan of salvation, professing the same truth, practicing the same things, worshiping the same God, pursuing the same path. I want you to look at how focused Apostle Paul was. This scripture literally lit me up a couple of months ago, and it has not only lit me up, in some areas, it has shut me up. Philippians 1, 15 through 18. I'm going to read it slow. Listen to this and grasp it. Paul is saying, Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. 
Some preach of envy and strife, and some preach of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds. Some are preaching in a way they're not even sincere. It's really contention, and they're preaching in a manner to add affliction to my bonds. But the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. In other words, some are preaching, uh, and they understand me, and that's good. And some are preaching, and their preaching is against me, and it's adding affliction. And then he drops it in verse 18. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, yea, and I will rejoice. You have got to be kidding. I'm not. There it is clearly. He was saying, his ministry was speaking about be an example. He spelled it out clearly when he said, uh, be an example in word, conversation, which is our life, not just our speech, our entire, our entire life is, is uh, tied to when it says in conversation. In charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity, he was even speaking to the young then. He, he wasn't saying, okay, now all of you elders, you've been in the church 20 plus years, you've got this together, so we expect that, that you to be an example in word, conversation, charity, spirit, faith, and purity. No. That's, that's not what he said. He was even speaking to the young then. Because the call is for examples. Examples. We need examples. New life needs examples. This community need examples. And so my challenge to you is, is don't shy away from intentionally stepping out and being willing to pursue a life worthy of imitation. Hmm, that's, that's quite a load. It is quite a load. I want to say it again. Don't shy away from intentionally stepping out and being willing to pursue a life worthy of imitation. You say, well, that's, that's prideful. That's not prideful. We'll, we'll talk about this a little more. We need people that know the way and will show the way. It's not enough just to live and, okay, I'm going to be an example of my family. And, well, that's good. Have to do that. Everything starts there. But that's not enough. We've got to be people who are willing to step out and be an example. We need men and women to step out intending to lead a life that silently screams. If I say it, you can say it. If I go there, you can go there. If I do it, you can do it. Because I am safe to follow. I'm safe to follow. This, this is what we're called to do. This is what we must do. And I have often said, if you know it, you owe it. And the reason why I say that is there are many of you that you don't think you, you don't even understand what you have inside of you. You don't even understand what you know. You don't, I'm talking to even some of you younger ones. You have plenty. Well, but I'm not mature yet. 
you know, judge that. Great. That's, that's wonderful. Get off of all of that. It's whatever we know, what we have the ability to live right now. Let's step out and live it. The call is to be an example. I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. But I'm striving in the right direction. And, and when I mess up, I, Repent to God and repent to people. That's, that's what it is. Follow me and I'll even show you how to get up when you fall. Because when I fall, I'll get up and I'll show you how to do it. When I blow it, I will show you how to repent. Whenever I make a decision or I treat somebody wrong or I mouth off or whatever, I'll show you how to say I was wrong and I'm sorry for that. And would you please forgive me? We need examples. We need examples. It's not about perfection. We'll never live a life worthy of imitation if we're not daily in the word and prayer. And this is where the battle is fought. This, this is it. There is a reason why the enemy fights us in our daily prayer and the word. Melanie and I call it God connection. It's our air, it's our food, it's God connection. I am so excited about this 24-hour prayer chain that New Life is into now, one week in a month. I'm very excited about it. I'm also excited that when they set it up, uh, they set it up on 30-minute 30 30-minute 30 slots. Now, you, you know, those of us that are adults, don't take one 30-minute slot. You know, let, come on, let, let's, let's mature and at least take two. I mean, we can at least, at least do an hour. Let's, let's go for that. And let's load that 24-hour prayer chain up. But here's the beauty of the 30 minutes. Our children can do 30 minutes. I mean, our, our young children can be trained. Talking about the generational church. Well, this is a generational push in prayer ministry. And so we, we can literally be teaching our young people to be a part of the corporate prayer ministry of this church. Why? Because if we don't pray, we'll never be an example. If we're not in the word, we will never be an example. Leonard Ravenhill has, has, um, written extensively. Uh, he's passed away many years ago, but he wrote on prayer. He's a great man of prayer. He said, he said this. He said, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. The one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from prayer. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. And what we need is examples. We need examples. We need people to decide, listen, I am an example. I'm going to be an example. I'm going to be a better example than I've ever been. I want to be marked not as one that causes division, but I want to be marked as an example. I want somebody to be able to look at me and say, hey, look, if, if they do it, it's okay. If they say it, it's, it's okay. If they go there, it's okay. If they think it, it's okay. That is what we need to desire that needs to be our goal. Marked by what? Not by division, but by being an example. And then let me close with this. It's the huge challenge. So it was the bad news, and it's the good advice, and now it's a huge challenge. 
marked by marks. Galatians 6, 17. From henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Paul was a persecuted man. It's very interesting when when the Lord knocked him down as Saul to the ground, and then he tells uh, Ananias to go to him. We read in Acts 19, 15, and 16, But the Lord said unto him, speaking of Ananias, because when the Lord said, Ananias, go to Saul, Ananias was like saying, "Are, Are you kidding me? Do you know who we're talking about? This was like the lead terrorist. This would be like the Spirit telling us uh, before bin Laden was dead or before somebody like that, you know, go, go pray for them. It's like, yeah, right. And so this is, this is that conversation with the Lord and Ananias. But the Lord said unto him, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will shew him or show him how great things he must suffer for my namesake. That was in his calling. I'm calling you. Now you go tell him that I'm sending him to kings and great men, and it's going to be amazing what he does, but he's going to suffer. He's going to suffer a lot, and suffer he did. He was in prison. He was beaten. He was scourged. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was snake-bitten. He was marked. He was marked. Back in those days, servants and soldiers were often marked. They would often mark them in their bodies. And this was very fitting for Paul because he was a servant and a soldier of Jesus Christ. Have you ever read the book, Fox's Book of Martyrs? How many of you have read that book? Would you raise your hand, the Fox's Book of Martyrs? I would challenge you to to read that. How many of you have ever read The Insanity of God? Has anyone in here, a few, have read The Insanity of God? I would, I would challenge you to read either one of those books, preferably both, because it will get us in a mindset and it will make us think, are we willing to be marked? Marked. Um... I sure don't want to be marked as a divisive person. I definitely want to be marked as an example. And I want to be willing to be marked with marks. That's the goal. Can you imagine, can you imagine what it would be like? See, in the, in the Bible where it talks about uh, you shall be witnesses, witnesses, if you study out that, that, that word, that's, uh, I believe the base word there is martus, which ties into martyr. You shall be martyrs unto me. Now, can you imagine, can you imagine, and I'm almost done, I've got the landing gear out, I'm coming in for a landing right now. Can you imagine what it would be like, and can you imagine how we would change if we would be more focused on being willing to literally give our lives for the kingdom. For the kingdom. I remember what it was like in my life. I mean, uh, you know, I had, a, I had a great childhood, wonderful family. Uh, we worked hard. Um, I think that somehow my father and pastor were connected just years apart. 
in, in how we, uh, we were raised in, in working and all these kinds of things. Uh, you know, some of my friends told me I had it hard. I didn't think that I had it hard. We had, we had a great upbringing. And everything went along pretty good. Uh, but when my father died when I was 19, when he died, I mean, just months before, I had stood out and watched my apartment burn down, and everything that I owned, it burned up. And so that was a jolt. Uh, that was a major jolt, but nothing like looking in the casket and seeing my father, nothing. That, that was the day everything changed in my life, everything. I was never the same. I've never been the same since that day. That was a what I refer to as a perspective-changing event in my life. Because from that day forward, there were a lot of things that used to matter to me that didn't even... It, it didn't even bug me at that point. When, when, when my pain threshold, when my emotional pain threshold hit that, when it was stretched to that point at 19, it changed. It changed me totally. It changed my emotions. It, I am telling you, that absolutely changed my life. Never for me to look at things the way that, that I did. I don't think I was petty before then, but you can believe I wasn't petty after then. And there were times I would just look at people much older than me and think, you're just crazy getting all upset about that, thinking that's a big deal. That's nothing. You hadn't buried anybody. I mean, all of these kinds of things that change our life. Can you imagine if we would set our sights on truly being able to give it all for the kingdom. When we get there, and as a matter of fact, the pursuit of going there will change everything about us. So I believe that this day demands that our personal preference and opinions must willingly and quickly bow to kingdom priorities. I believe that people who realize if it's not a kingdom priority, it's not worth the resources of my time. It's not worth the resources of my money, and it's sure not worth the resources of my emotion. If there's not a kingdom priority tied to it. So the lesson is just marked. Never for division, yes, as an example, and then also to the level to where we would be marked by marks if that was what was needed for the kingdom to move forward. New Life, I can tell you what I believe, and I am not just saying this as a good ending, even though this is a good ending. Um, this church has been... Uh, raised up, raised up. There, there are so, there are so many wonderful things about this church. The values that this church stands on, the the things that have been put into this to this church. I um, I had a friend of mine one time. He looked at me and he said, "Terry, you don't even know what you know." And I said, "What do you mean? I don't know what I know. I know what I know." And he said, no, you, you don't even know what you know. He said, because of the men that raised you, you don't even know what you know. Well, I've been here two years. I don't even think you know what you know. I, I don't. I don't think you really know what you know. 
And I think now would be a wonderful time with the world going absolutely crazy. With people losing their direction, I think now would be a wonderful time for us to realize we have answers. And we will not be petty. And it will not be about us, but it will be about his kingdom no matter what he needs in order to expand it. As we stand together right now, I'd like for you to just close your eyes. And if you're uh, comfortable with this, would you just raise your hands to heaven? And we, would you just, would you just tell, tell God, tell him, I want to be marked.